Welcome, this is the Make a Chat Synth DIY podcast. I'm here today with my one opus. Thank you very much for taking the time to come and talk to us. Yeah, no problem. I mean, we've been um, kind of talking to and from for a few years on Instagram. We follow quite similar paths in terms of um, Synth DIY builds. Um, can you say a few words to introduce yourself to the audience? Yeah, so I... I studied music when I was younger. I did a degree in playing the trumpet and I'd always had interest in playing bits like piano, but wasn't ever very good at it. But obviously as I got a bit older and found electronic music, you know, me and my friends got a couple of Zox boxes and a 606 and, you know, played around with those, a couple of bits and pieces, Ableton and all, you know, nothing like a bit of rebirth on your old PC. And, um, and then, yeah, when I got to... I don't know, um, a couple of years ago and, you know, I was looking at what you can do and my friend had got a modular synthesizer when, you know, someone was selling a case on the edge of London. So after work, I went and picked it up and, you know, several years later, you've gone from like a little dot, dope for case to what you can see behind. As we all know, it sort of spirals out of control very quickly. But um, yeah, and then he mentioned, oh, I'd really like one of those sloths modules. And I went, well, I suppose I should you know, buy a solder and iron, have a look at making some bits. I bought some rackets kits to try, which amusingly are one of only three things that I've never managed to make work. <laughs> Whereas <laughs> one of them, the gate output didn't work and I never went back to it. One of them, I couldn't get to make a sound. And then the other thing is I can't make the sequence of board on the RE909 turn on, which has been a nightmare. But um, apart from that, you know, I've done quite well other than that. And I bought a solder and iron. I started looking bought a hot air gun and it all sort of you know if you look on my instagram yeah you'll see i've made almost everything you can buy by non-linear circuits and i've made a fair few um you know mutable instruments things with faco stuff the mi bits i was uh quite fun and got a load of the original panels from funk as well so you now can't tell most of them are diy unless you look at the back uh, yeah, so I've been been quite busy. Being the lockdown made a lot of the difference. Yeah, you know, I was used to going to rehearsals all the time, and I had nowhere to go. So I, uh, yeah, you could still get Mauser to send you whatever parts that you wanted through the post, and it was quicker than getting something posted through Royal Mail anyway. So you, uh, I just sat down and started to learn how to do it. So what was the first ever module you built? Was it um, the racket stuff that you came in with? Yeah, so I did the the metal drum and the little sequencer. The baby so that, Yeah, yeah. And they, they, but I, sat, I think part of where I went wrong is I sat down in the front room and did them. So I'm quite sure I probably, like, blew something up with, you know, sat on cushions and and so forth. Um, and I never quite went back to them either to go and say well why they're not working and and again when you've whilst I had a decent solder and iron I only had some cheap solder and you know you I tended to not look at them and they're, they're the only two things that are sat in the cupboard that I've never got back out again really but um I think then it was a I made a slew limiter the FACO one because that was pretty pretty straightforward and and then then I think yeah, I made a few bits and pieces of through holes through from kits from Thunk. I made like all of the, um, what they called the, 
Oh, those, uh, the proc drums. There we go. I don't know why I couldn't remember their name. I made a full set of them. They were one of the first slightly more involved things that I made. Like two boards, you got to stick together, make sure the pins and all that. But after then, I think I pretty much went a bit, a bit crazy and decided that I'd try and make a sloughs, which is obviously a complete world of difference because you've, you've got to get the parts yourself. You've got surface mount. But it was rare. It was a case of the one thing I did find great is the Facebook group for nonlinear is great. You know, I posted a Google sheet of, I think this is what I need to buy. And, you know, Mr. Howard comes along and says, yeah, that's all right. Andrew himself goes, yeah, that's fine, but you'd be cheap again at Tader. You know, it was, I think you probably commented as well, but, you know, you get so much help out of that group most of the time that you you know when you you've put together a list of things to buy if you get that much feedback from is my shopping list correct you're probably going to be all right on support i think that's the one thing you know one the designs are fun most of the modules are even the more involved ones are straightforward to put together in some fashion yeah you've got a schematic to look at if you do want to try and pull it apart and you know you can always email andrew if you really really get stuck and no one else can help so but yeah i, I think after that it was a case of just started buying surface mount things because by the time they had to go with some paste you know much as it takes time to get it all down on the board and you know get it laid out and make sure you've got the right bits measure them you know especially on the smaller 0603 and whatever stuff where it's not labeled make sure you've got the right bit in the right hole but like you just wave the hot air over the board then and you've got a board done and it's much easier than sort of faffing about with tweezers i always found that i'd hold it in place and then my brain would go Oh, it's not quite straight. And then you'd, you're like, am I going to overheat this? Like, I, everything looks a lot nicer, I find, once you get paste working. Is that wrong? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely enjoy the physical process for some reason i like the challenge of using tweezers i think it's because my eyesight is so terrible that um <laughs> i like to keep myself i'm telling myself that i'm exercising my eyes when really i've got like two layers of magnification on i'm like really close to the board i'm like um right up to there i mean when i look at your boards they always look so professionally done but i i, I look at yours and i'm thinking I wish mine looked that good. They look, they do look fantastic. You've done, you've done, you do a really good job with all of the SMD I've seen you do. Yeah, it's just the the real trick I found was getting the right end on the syringe that you're using and make sure you don't get too much paste, um, unless it's one of the non-linear ones with twelve oh six pads because that cell F thing, I came a right cropper because I did the whole board in one go. But because I had 0885 on 1206, it, they just didn't join up very well. And I ain't got enough paste for it to do. You know, I'd got enough that we usually would have worked. Yeah. And that took me way longer than it should have done because I had to go back and put a little more paint in and keep jigging the, the components backwards and forwards till they touched both sides. But yeah, I, I think that's the, the bit is getting your, getting your process out of, yeah, you get your paste, you know, you clean your board with a bit of IPA, make sure it's degrees, you get your your spots on, make sure you work round in a logical order so you don't find you've just smeared half of it as well and have to start again. But I've ended up using like really tiny ones for the really fine pitch stuff on, you know, the SDMs and stuff on the MI boards, but then slightly bigger for your non-linear ones or your 06. So, you know, you, 
it's same with any of these things if right tool for the right job in it you can't just go at it with a um like one size fits all approach i did try using a toothpick like i've seen people suggest and i've failed miserably on that one so i've gone always gone back to my syringe yeah i must admit that was the way that i was told to do it um and part of the reason why in the end i i found a working solution using syringes and various length of syringes which ones work better and even coming up with in the end i made that kind of guide to basically share it because also you do kind of get frustrated with uh, when you find some of these forums um not non-linear circuits but just in general people present this piece of like perfect work and 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 sometimes they're not so clear or communicative on how they've done it and it's almost like they want to kind of take credit for being a magician if you like to build uh, build this board but actually it's very difficult and quite rare to find someone who's prepared to take you through it step by step and just break it down um and i i, I found that entry point into smd quite frustrating like yourself i tried the toothpick i mean did you did you have any of those kind of intimidation or like issues getting into it no, not I. I didn't too bad because the first things I did were all nonlinear circuits ones. So you know, I posted a picture saying, "Oh, I've managed to make it work," and everyone went, "Oh, that looks all right." And then I made a couple for me and my friend, and they all worked. You know, apart from it, the one thing I have found quite useful is when I've made two of something, there is nothing more useful than having two. And then if they don't operate the same, even if it looks like they're working, you can obviously quickly. I did a timber and timber. And there was one resistor that wasn't quite soldered on one of them. And audibly, I couldn't actually tell, but I put them on the oscilloscope to check something that was in the build guide. And one of them had a, like a little bit of a, a hump in the sine wave. And it was like, well, something's not right with that one. And yeah, quick, quick bit with your magnification and spotted it. But the um, it was so much easier to fix than a throughall thing like I I've, I really hate desoldering, like desoldering the 60 odd or 70 pots that I did was one of the worst things I've ever been through. And the amount of things where you just need to get that tiny little bit of resistor out and it just will not, I just, you know, there's, a, there's obviously a fraction of solder inside there and it's just not coming off and it just, how oh, it drives me nuts. Whereas, yeah, you just put the heat gun on and, pull the thing off otherwise and yeah because just to tell the audience um both there was a point where everyone was using the alpha round knobs because that was all that was available but the t18 splined ones became available which i i'm not sure how long they've been around but i know that you could get a t18 style spline on different pots but there was none available for the um, alphas that we were using and then once everyone realized that you could use i think it was kind of coincided with thonk producing those little tiny knobs as well mm. um, and just with the kind of physical footprint of Eurorack being quite tight anyway everyone just started using well, i say everyone a lot of people on non-linear non circuits started using the smaller style purely because of the ergonomics of being able to get your fingers in and it does make a big difference especially when you've got some things patched in and there's cables everywhere as well and the the knobs themselves the davies knobs like feel plasticky they're fine there's nothing wrong with them but 
they I found that there's much more choice once you go to like the T18s as well and what knobs you can have because you can have T18s you can have round with a brass thing go you know you get more choice you can have tiny little knobs you can have bigger ones so I've got a you know that's got everything from the the little ones to some ones I had in some guitar pedal kits that I made to some other bits from um, you know the Rogan sort of Buchler type ones I've got some of them littered across it so yeah, I enjoy those. I'm, I like the kind of top hat style ones, the bigger top hat, and like the ones that um, Tom Whitwell used on his four pot. Um, I can't remember. Oh uh, yeah, the giant, the giant ones, knobs. Yeah, the, I really like the the ones on there with the the giant ones at the top on there. There on the cell F, they that ended up coming out looking quite nice. And well, you can't also beat the. The Rogans, much as the coloured ones, obviously didn't make any sense in the end. And like, I think that's one of the most interesting things from MI sort of shutting up is all the things that Emily has shared on her GitHub and on the page that's replaced her website now of like history of things she developed and why coloured knobs went away and, and all that. You know, the the one thing I always like about what Eurorack seems to have is that there's so much sharing. You know, and there's so many people able to help. And yeah, there are the odd person that you ask a silly question and you get somebody who says something. But that's the internet for you as a general rule. But yeah, I've never seen a community that's been generally quite so happy to help everybody and you know, willing to share their designs. And here's a schematic. What do you think? It's quite a refreshing yeah, environment most of the time, I think. It's just a shame that so many people are shutting up shop. You can understand why with the cost of everything, but you know, WMD made a load of good modules. Hex Inver, obviously, they've sort of passed their stuff to Erica since now, haven't they? But you know, mutable instruments going is you know, quite a big. Yeah, you know, I don't think anyone's going to fill those boots, really, are they ever? No, I mean, I, I want to say so much about Emily and her work because basically. I connect so much with those modules. Obviously, I've not really, I've not built any personally, mainly because I wanted to support Emily and buy the real ones. I have got some um, cloned ones. I've got a cloned clouds, mainly because a friend of mine made me one. Um, I did. I have had some cloned modules in my time, but. I think primarily I, w- at, I was feeling a little bit confused as a uh, maker myself, whether or not it was the right thing, you know, right thing to do um, just in terms of my own ethics. And I'm, you know, I don't have any real feeling about other people making them or anything, but I just felt personally that I felt so strongly about enjoying the modules that I wanted to buy them and enjoy them as a consumer um yeah so about half of the ones i've got are factory ones and the other half are ones i've made but i started off making ones you couldn't buy i think and then i think i did make a marbles when you could do it but that was for the challenge of can i make something you know 402 size uh, and the thing it actually helped from a building perspective to tackle something like that because one you had to think about building it because you can't see what's on the resistor, you know, you've got to be much more careful about pick and place. 
you've also got so many different things that have different power requirements. You know, most of the other things is minus 12 volts, plus 12 volts, and you generally fine. But with those, you've got references, you've got regulators, you've then got, you know, different types of IC that run on different types of voltage. You've got to really learn how to read Eagle so that you can understand that, like, the last page of every schematic is always the power section. And, like, obviously, you can just follow Forest Caver's instructions and you're very quickly on the way. But if you don't actually pay attention to how the modules are put together from a schematic point of view and what parts go where in the, you know, you can't blindly fly into them. So I, I'm with you. There is the, I, I don't ever feel like I'd want to start going, oh, I can make loads of marbles modules. Here you go. Stick them on eBay, 150 quid a time and start, you know, that's definitely the wrong bit. I think, the great thing about AMI is that as long as you can take it and learn from it, you're still within the principles that she was sort of aiming for. I guess I haven't taken it, made my own designs and I haven't taken it and, you know, done anything more than learn how to do better soldering and learn how to program STMs and understand, you know, some of the bits of the code here and there where you have to debug it. But I have learned something from it. And I think that's the bit to take away. But I, I know what you mean. Like, I might have loads of the panels and made it look like the original ones, but I'd never stick up on eBay saying original. Yeah, I can't believe I did see, see someone who'd said they'd been sold a grids. <laughs> it was quite clearly not a factory grids, but they'd been told it was. And I, I think that's, yeah, that's pretty low, isn't it, really? Yeah, I mean, obviously everyone's got their own kind of ethics and how they want to run their life um i certainly understand what you're saying in terms of learning opportunities and i think that you know emily's service that she's given the community in just going open source in general and having that open source mentality is something which we kind of touched on really about the community and i think that that community should be kind of born from respect to other people's intellectual um kind of rights and basically not only that their their effort they've put in but also that kind of like you know not being selfish and kind of accessibility has helped bring a community together and also helped us all learn a little bit about you know maybe about digital modules about the differences between analog and digital and then getting into the coding etc and i think it's been absolutely essential and there's something which i've seen right from the start i mean i was kind of coming in from um ray wilson's work and seeing um the the way that the forum and kind of communication that he put in and and you and you start to get that connection with the builder with the person who's who's created this work and i think that that connection is something which is really important to the to what we're doing i don't know what you think about that yeah because and, and when you that you touched on respect is if you ever build mi modules you quite soon start to realize how clever she is and how much effort has gone into these you know they aren't there's no part of an MI module that hasn't been thought out really well from placement 
to be able to build them. It's a really interesting article about the fact that, you know, all the pieces are on one side of the board. So it's, you know, done in an oven, SMD pick and place. Then the other side is wave soldered because you do it that way. Apart from a few of them where that doesn't work and they have to have trays for them. So, I mean, the level of detail that you have to think about on those things. But yeah, again, Andy being on the nonlinear circuit thing and posting replies, that knowing that the person selling you the stuff who's thought about it is there also going, oh yeah, you can do this with it or this is what I'm doing with it or, oh, you're stuck. Here's a bit of help. I think that makes such a difference and makes you feel like it's not just a community of people interested in it. You know, it's not like going to a football match with 40,000 people, but none of you are ever going to talk to the guys who are actually kicking the ball. You know, you can talk to a lot of them and much of them have never had a chance to get to anything like um, Super Booth, but all those people are sat walking around there, aren't they? You know, talking yeah. to each other. You know, you see um, Jason in Stru, if that's how you say it, um, chap, he's always about, you know, showing people things and doing the odd workshop and Tom Whitwell, he's doing one, I think, today, aren't they? I, unfortunately, I don't live anywhere close enough to go and build one of them, but, you know, he's often talking to people, helping them out. Uh, yeah, I must admit, I went to one of Tom Whitwell's um, workshops at Thonk um, quite a few years back, and it was fantastic. I mean, at the time, I was still fairly new to Synth DIY, but just, again, the openness of um, Thonk putting on a workshop in their own premises, having Tom there, being on a table with people that I'm still, you know, I made good friends that day. Uh, big shout out to Alex and Mami. Um, um, who I still speak to and, and we share not just sympathy DIY, but like chats about our lives in general, just from that one meetup. And I still, you know, I still speak to Steve. I see Steve from Thonk um, out socially in Brighton before the pandemic. I haven't been back since actually um, at, you know, at modular events. And it's fantastic just how open and kind everyone is and accepting um, just by having an interest in something, which is, something we all share yeah yeah and like anyone i ever talked to about this you know that isn't um part of it are always like astounded that you can make these things and you just say to them well actually it's, it's quite straightforward normally somebody's giving you instructions and you just it's a bit like a paint by numbers to some degree but the bit that makes the difference is that when you do get stuck there's so many people to help and I think, yeah, that's that's great. Have you ever looked at those um, Zlob modular VCAs? Um, I have, and I've gone, there is no way that looks like it's going to be fun. <laughs> it's like I was someone the other day, I saw a post make about, um, I've made a couple of modules. I want to track, do a Bifaco hex mix. And loads of people went, oh, that might be a bit tricky. And yeah, my input on that is, I really like a finished Bifaco module. But I definitely wish they did SMD kits because like the Lich and the plethora ones that I did recently were horrible. Yeah, just really horrible. And even the way that some of the instructions are, it says, you know, solder this piece, solder this piece on the header and the bit. But actually, it doesn't say put the boards together first and then make sure they, you know, as you well know, like if you don't have the headers lined up, that causes problems. And the spacing is just, it either needs to be three boards or it needs to be SMD. And 
I, I must admit, I, I, I was, I've been meaning to bring up Bifaco builds because I actually loved building them, mainly because of the challenge. I, I built Rampage, and I did have some issues with putting the header on the wrong way. A classic mistake. And I had to use hot air, and mine works perfectly. Although, you know, albeit it did try everything in its way to stop it from working perfectly. And I had to literally, you know, desolder these quite compact headers from one side and flip them over to the other side and again you know i'd never i've forgotten that i'd done that until i've mentioned it to you because when you're looking at the front panel you don't remember that the all of that pain you went through but there always is some issue with the physical fit on a bifaco board i don't know if you found that oh yeah the i said the plethora one was the last one i did and there was one bit where you put the boards together and basically there's a component on this side that ends up more or less resting on a component this side. And because you don't realize that till you put it together at that point, without starting to desolder stuff, there's nothing you can do about it. So you've then got to go, well, is that okay? Am I going, you know, the only problem I had with that one was I foolishly soldered two grain pins into the same hole on the jacks, which normally wouldn't make any difference. Um, and I don't know why I'd done it, wrong because i you know i i just wasn't paying attention i guess you know probably i should have gone to bed instead of trying to finish it but um i assumed that one was in an analog ground and one was in a digital ground and it just all had gone a bit wonky really but um yeah that was that was a bit of a whoops but um that was easy getting pots off uh, jacks off is a lot easier than pots as a rule so yeah i mean i don't know about you Sorry, gone. Oh, yeah. so I bought one of those um, Hacko desoldering guns. Oh, nice! And um, it's still it's still not perfect. You have to still use it right, but that makes a world of difference when it does work. You know, bang, bang, bang! Pull your you pull your component out. Like, I definitely think that uh, having confidence in your desoldering technique is something that comes up time and time again i remember when i made the one of my re303s i had a problem with headers for the pixie cpu and i ended up coming up with a better solution than the kind of bog standard headers there were these kind of special you know the kind of round pin headers they had much better physical connection i actually found these very particular headers and i had to remove the existing headers from that board which is quite dense boards where you put a lot of love into building it um I, uh, and i would have loved to have a desoldering tool for that i'd have to get the details I, uh, to be honest desoldering has come up quite a few times on this podcast because it is something that people you know feel passionately about what kind of techniques have you tried to use well the the one with braid dipping the braid in um flux first definitely makes a big difference i find and, and putting the running a bit of flux into the joint first so that it's not as well, it's obviously not necessarily dry but that tends to be if i've only got to do one i'll try starting there but yeah with the gun that's a, a case of that's this is again where the right tool is the th trouble is that i've ended up buying a 0.8 millimeter bit and that perfectly desolders leds and tiny little bits but when you were doing the parts, because they're obviously flat, you needed a slightly different sized one. And if you try doing it with one too big or too small, it either doesn't pull 
enough solder or it doesn't get enough suction. So the gun works really well as a general rule. I mean, I say I've still had to re-solder it and then try again sometimes when it's not quite pulled through. And but yeah, as a as a general rule, trying to get the the bits out, it's it's made a lot of difference. My socks boxes have um dusty switches, shall we say, and I removed all the switches out of them. And but trying to get those out of that board was still difficult, even with the gun, because because they're push fit, aren't they? Effectively, so that that tension there's probably a little bit of solder behind the push you know push fit bit but a combination of that and it depends whether you need to keep the component if you don't then just so cutting the legs and pulling them out one by one is obviously a it's not the best technique in the world but ultimately as long as you're not going to rip the pads off it you know if you've blown an ic you might as well just cut the legs yeah, because when I was over at um, Superbooth in 2019, I actually, that was quite a good experience in terms of the Synth DIY side of it, because although you've got all of the booths themselves with all the makers and everything, when when you had an opportunity to work alongside, um, you know, some really dedicated builders, um, like Menke was there, for example, and people that, you know, almost mythical status, um, uh, one of the Shackmack guys were using you know there's quite a few things i've seen where people are literally like heat the component up get the get the joint flowing and then blow and then another one was just to bang it on the side and just literally to use physical kind of inertia to bang it and fling the solder out yeah and if you i remember seeing i think it was a non-linear post where andrew said yeah just compressed air and fire the stuff out but obviously make sure you've got nothing underneath that matters or you know <laughs> just make sure you've got something underneath it because of course you're gonna have flying solder everywhere and um, i did do one where i could not before i bought the gun for love the money get the switch out it was one of the it was the switch on clouds i'm just trying to get that out on them and in the end, I just made a huge, big solder ball that eventually encompassed all six pins and just pulled it. And yeah. that worked. Yeah, I know. It was a, a bit messy. But, um, yeah, if you can get solder onto all of the pins, that always gets it out eventually. <laughs> yeah, because you can get those situations where you've kind of got a little frail bit hanging on and it's and you're kind of like trying and trying, but obviously you're kind of risking pad integrity the whole time. And like you say, the best solution can be just to like go the opposite way and just bung loads of solder on. And then even with braid, if you've got nothing there, the braid can't wick away the solder. But if you if you kind of go the other way and just put loads of solder on, you can just pull it all out in one go, can't you? Yeah, and then cleaning it up is usually easier. But yeah, of course the more you eat solder the drier it gets and that's obviously your problem isn't it you've you've got this horrible now very dry of reheated solder stuck down in the hole where you can't really get at and yeah i i finding things not working is definitely the best way to learn how things should work and actually the fact that most of the things i've ever made have worked has probably left me learning less electronically should we say rather than you know, learning how to solder and whatever. But it's it's really frustrating when you do find something that doesn't work. But as long as you can then, 
you know you work out a better disordering technique you understand why the the you know the values this side and this side aren't working even just build an audio probe and trace the signal the one clouds i made for some reason every time you press the button or you um fed cv and gate in to turn the freeze button on it made this horrendous click i mean really it wasn't like oh i'll i'll believe that it was noticeably horribly loud and i built this audio probe from some schematic on the internet and traced the signal and yeah i can hear audio i can hear audio i've got to the dac and now well the codec whatever i can hear audio i can now hear digital noise going to you know there's there's nothing going on all my soldering looks fine in the end i reflashed it and it worked i have no idea why because all i did was reflash it and then all of a sudden it was fine and it's been fine ever since but that was a really interesting process to have to look at the schematic and go so right so if it's these pins you know where where am i going how does this all connect and you soon get understanding of why the bits are where they are yeah i know yeah i know exactly what you're saying (laughs) because when i was just before this um just before this call i was on the um (laughs) non-linear circuits forum on the on the builders guide guild sorry um and someone was posting a dual lfo vco problem yeah and i was thinking oh i've got half an hour here i'll have a look at this um and exactly as you say i that it's not even your problem. This is what's great about it. You're kind of thinking, how would I tackle this problem? So first of all, I downloaded the image and I got it into GIMP to basically examine all of the soldering. I found some visual problems that I didn't like the look of. And then I thought I reread his original description of the problem. And it was to do with when the module switched into the different speeds. And actually I then, you know, looked at the diagram as your, kind of mentioning find out where that functionality is brought in you see the the capacitors which are being switched between you find them on the on the back of his picture and lo and behold they're the ones i've circled i'm pretty sure by checking functionality to the diagram to to the pcb layout etc it's so satisfying because i'm not sure whether that fixed it by the way but i'm just saying <laughs> it's, it's satisfying to go through the process and come up with an idea and then test against the idea and then if you do get a return on it that is satisfying and i think the only way like you mentioned the only real way of getting from a troubleshooting perspective is to to find out where yeah you need the diagram obviously um i was doing it blind but find out where logically that problem would come in on the board and and that that's where you learn the most yeah for sure Uh, and that's the bit that some degree, like you say, is really satisfying. You know, you've got an LED that won't turn on, even if it's as simple as tracing it and finding that there's a bit, you know, one side isn't quite perfectly soldered or you missed it. It's just that you, you learn, don't you, of how, even if I don't fully understand how circuits work properly, because I'm a trumpet player, <laughs> but, um, yeah, you, you understand how things, it's like my car. I have no idea how it actually works, but I know enough about where you put the fuel, where you press the brakes and like this bit does this, this, this. And it's just the same with the synths in it. I probably should spend more time, one, playing them instead of building them and two, learning how they actually work so that I could, you know, breadboard my own. But there are so many people out there that have made really interesting modules. You know, I'd be learning something and doing, doing something for my own 
good, but would I ever make anything better than a stages or anything better than a plague of demons? Like, you know, probably not, but you know, anyone who wants to do it, it's always interesting to see, you know, my modular journey, you know, when he's been and ordered himself his own PCBs to make an ADSR, like, that's really cool. I mean, you can buy one for like 60 quid from somebody, but having made it yourself and then soldered it yourself is, you know, it's really cool to see that level of interest that people have on it. Yeah, I must admit, because when you see, you know, work like that, you kind of, I, I, I kind of personally, I'm thinking, oh, I, I really should be doing stuff like that. But I know I've got a limit, you know, to my capacity as a person. I've got all these, I, I'd like the idea of, potentially i've got one of these electro smith daisy seeds have you seen those yeah 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 know what you mean yes um, and actually quite like the idea of utilizing that and just going into the coding side of it maybe um i don't know have you thought about doing that i mean obviously you played with the mi well, stuff i've got a raspberry pi for that purpose yeah. but i haven't got anywhere doing it because i've got a uh a, a norns fates clone thing a while ago and that is really fun um, and that's sort of based around Super Collider and some their own stuff sat on top of it, isn't it? But the things you can do with Super Collider are really interesting. And I have got it installed, and then I've been either working, playing a cornet, or uh, building a synthesizer. So it's yeah, I always I've got too many interests. The thing I found was really funny with lockdowns was when a lot of people I knew at work who were used to going out, going to the gym, doing their, you know, going on holidays, they were all losing their minds because they couldn't do anything. I was like, great, I've got every evening and I can now sit and pick one of the many things that I always mean to do to because I can't go anywhere. So, yeah, I, it's just timing it and trying to pick the thing that you want to do next. I've, I've got, I think, three or four MI modules left in my queue as it were and I've got no non-linear ones now and then I've got an RE303 to do which I've been mildly put off from the 909 experience I mean the, I've made the entire 909 I've done all the cabling I've every single bit all the boards done and the sequencer won't turn on and when I posted about it I got have you got the right caps because the bomb has the wrong caps in which doesn't help but no, I'd already read that, already ordered the right ones. I've already checked, you know, with my oscilloscope, I've got the right frequency going between the crystal and, you know, I've checked different pins. I've got like square waves and noise and all sorts. And, you know, I've got the right voltage. I've even put in a toggle switch for the reset. So I know that the reset's coming after because, you know, you have to kick the board off with the main voltage and then add the reset to the pins of the CPU so it loads like done all sorts I've even removed the CPU and the memories and swapped them with other ones that I because I had a couple of spares still won't turn on and all of that is I can sell you some some new bits if you want or have you checked this oh yes I have and I, there's not really been much help I've even looked through this you, know, you need to look at the schematic I have but it's quite complicated but I've traced all the pins. Everything's talking to every, I think, as far as I can tell. I know this is sort of my problem for not knowing enough about how it actually works, but I'm, I'm at a loss as to why I can't get this board to turn on, which is really frustrating because the whole thing is sat there ready to box and just the brain won't turn on. 
Well, I've I've built two re three hundred threes, and I had a problem in the um, VCO core where I'd put two a couple of resistors the wrong orientation, and it caused a very similar kind of issue. And also, I had problems where the CPU was coming on, on, on and off, and that was down to my header issue, as I described earlier. I actually wrote those issues up into my own, again, following the same ethos that we're talking about. Like, Because I believe if you find problems um, and you've made them, the best way to ensure, I mean, purely from a selfish point of view, that you don't make them again, is to write them down and then share, make that available to other people. And I did, mm. I wrote a little kind of, issues and bugs guide with the re 303 the the kind of design ethos of those they have done a guide and i think the re 303 has been around for long enough to have that maturity in the guide so that you can build those with a degree of confidence but as we've seen with the re 909 it was released there's been a few revisions to the board um the build process has been updated i'll tell you who wrote an interesting one recently was sunshine jones released his own re 909 guide and he's very good he's very good at um communicating and, and he has this same ethos that we're talking about i'm not sure if that's worth looking at i don't know if you've seen that no i've i've largely put it in the back of my mind for the moment but um i've been trying to yeah, clear all the other bits out of the way i'll do the 303 for a hopefully successfully for a confidence boost and then i'll go back to it. part of the problem is as well though that the, the sequence of boards not so bad because it's so big but when you've got the whole thing laid out it takes up the entire table yeah and to be able to you don't want to put it in the case till it works so you've got to every time you want to do it you've got to get all the cables connected you, you know it's not a it's not simple at all by any means and but it's just frustrating that i've not even got to the some people I've seen where they've got one pin not quite soldered and therefore there's one of the voices and they literally won't turn on. So I could start hammering some one volt voltages to the right trigger points to see if the thing works itself. But it's the digital bit that's causing me trouble. But yeah, it's the, that I got one of the first boards. So when I end up getting the, the additional size buttons from, I've forgotten the chap's name, book chap in Canada. Um, and then I've ended up, you know, I waited for ages just to see, like you say, oh, this has come out like, oh, this bit's not actually got any plating on it. So it might work, but if it doesn't put it here and another bit, they've discovered, haven't they, that the MIDI socket isn't quite right. You know, there's something wrong with the MIDI socket. So if that plays up on it, you know, you might need to have a bit of a hack and, oh, this value here might not be correct. And, you know, there's, it's, it was stressful enough before I built it, just seeing the things that were coming up and going wrong. So I wish you could just buy another sequencer board though. So I could just build a second one. Hopefully it works and then be able to use that to debug the other one. When they let you, when they let you buy one? Well, to be honest, I haven't asked, but most of the time, I think when I've seen people ask for single things, they're not particularly accommodating. I mean, yeah. Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, I've, I mean, they seem pretty good with certain components. I know I've had some re three hundred three case parts and stuff like that directly. Uh, but I do share some of your frustration. I've got an entire re nine hundred nine in a box, <laughs> case, everything. 
and I started building it. I, you know, when I was at the end of my last profile, when I was still heavily building, I started it. And then I must admit, with the safety PSU and the kind of issues surrounding that, because they had the modification to that safety PSU, um, which was minor, I've managed to implement that. But it was just, to be honest, the wiring puts me off. I think some people have problems with the wiring because the numbering on the there was a numbering issue on the have you seen that by the way there's yeah, yeah yeah so they they fixed it didn't they on theirs but if you follow the original roland one instead of what they've turned it into you'll end up with it wrong and then there's a couple of bits where there's a instead of being one to ten it's one to five and then six and seven flip but if you're using the safety one don't do this because it creates a ground loop and you know you've got to those things are relatively well documented, but you definitely have got to pay a lot more attention. But yeah, I, I spent, I think about three hours making my own cables as well. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, that was horrible. Um, yeah. Cause that's something that I, I haven't ordered the, you know, the rainbow cables everyone's using. Um, I've got the connectors, but I didn't, I haven't ordered the cables. So that's one of the things that's actually preventing me from getting back into it. But I've also- uh, well, I've got about, 10 meters of rainbow cable so if you if you rent some rainbow cable i've got more than enough sat in the cupboard it's been quite handy for other things as well though here and there um but yeah i've got loads of that stuff the one thing i found that was good about the re909 when i was doing it early was actually there were a few sites that you needed to buy things for that now won't sell to the uk because of brexit like right were one of the ones that have some of the ics that you can't find easily other places without going to aliexpress and risking it yeah <laughs> um i remember that's just- yeah i've got a load of those as well just before brexit um so i've actually got you know probably got miles too much stuff in there to be honest um but again it's the same reason that you're you're kind of stating the size of it and also there's something about going into something of that scale in terms of a build and it prevents you it prevents you from doing other things like Oh, there's, you know, doing a little NLC build that might take you an hour, hour and a half, two hours, but you won't be able to do it because you've got this 909 that you've got to take out of the way and you don't want to go off onto a different project because there's something that's a slightly different mindset, isn't there, with a large build? Yeah, yeah. And when I did it, I think I did. So this is what makes me worry is I did the sequencer board first before I moved house. I then moved house and it looks fine. It doesn't work, but I wonder whether one of the ICs, you know, did it go past, um, get you know, a bit of shock damage on the way when it got moved, you know, but when I was building it, when I finally got back to doing the rest of it, it was a case of, yeah, this is what I'm doing now. I'm doing nothing else because like you say, if you, you know, it's taking up all this room and I've got one of the transformers as well. So I have actually got the proper thing to do it. But that, I've never tested that because that makes me really nervous to test. Same because here. you're going to be plugging that into the mains with the actual mains sat on your desk and then prodding it with a, you know, a multimeter. That, you Because know, it's with the safety one, I mean, it's not going to hurt you, is it? That's the whole point of it. But that one, the ground is obviously attached to the case as well. So if you don't, it's not if you're going to test it without it in the case. It's not earth to anything at all either. I just I get I don't like the idea of it. I'm I'm almost tempted to admit defeat and get somebody else to put it together and finish it just because it's 
I, you know, I probably did slightly bit off more than I can chew only because I can solder everything fine. You know, all my soldering work is all right. My understanding of what parts I was building, some of my understanding of how the digital board actually works is fine. But being able to understand why it doesn't work is the bit where I'm slightly uh, out of my league. I must admit, I mean, we've built a similar kind of set of stuff and, and I feel the same about it. And I would say the thing is when you get a, we've talked about like troubleshooting and enjoying troubleshooting, but I know from my own personal experience, there's another side to it, which is I say, I enjoy it if I su successfully troubleshoot it, but if I don't successfully troubleshoot, that is a whole different situation. It becomes like some kind of obsession. Yeah. Yeah. And whereas when I ask for help on most of the other things you get, people going, oh, have you tested this? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Give me a shout. I, I didn't quite find that much help on the other side. Now I didn't pursue it either too much, but there was a definite, you were saying earlier about um, some people going, look at this, I've made this wonderful thing, but this is kind of my thing. I'm not necessarily going to help you too much. Good luck. You can have a go. I feel there's a bit of that on that. And I know why, because it is complicated. I mean, if that Paul chap individually helped everybody with every single build in the way that you see in other things and, you know, everybody who's built one, absolutely understanded it well enough to be able to help absolutely everybody who didn't get it working you know you can see why roland only made them for like three years because they must have been a nightmare to get together oh, I, I do understand paul's situation because if you'd i mean he's taken the time to essentially clone the pcb or replicate the pcb um, everyone wants a 303 everyone's always wanted one that's why the prices have continued to go up to crazy amounts even with all of the you know other kind of less official clones out there are not replicas they're just you know like copies mm -hmm. everyone the price of genuine tb303s has always gone up in my experience and like everyone would love to be able to build one um, but just because he's providing that PCB and the instructions, I mean, they've. I would say that the Re three hundred three is definitely doable. Uh, I built two of them. I. I really enjoyed the process. A friend of mine, Alex Amami, that we've mentioned earlier, um, that I met on the Thonk um, build day, he actually built one first and I helped with with a couple of friends of mine, actually Darren from Racket and um, we helped diagnose some of the problems that he was getting and I I would say that I would I know enough about the RE303 to be able to help you definitely because I've built two of them and I definitely and the reason why I built two is the first one went really <laughs> it, it, it was emotional and I did and I wanted to build another one just to prove to myself that I could do it without any issues. I don't know if you've got that kind of mentality at all. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes, like, um, my stages, I made four of them. One of them had an offset of minus one volt to seven instead of naught to eight. And I measured everything on the damn thing and never could quite figure out why. So I'm going to build another one to see if I can make it work this time around. Um, so yeah I definitely know what you mean there that was but yeah I, and again don't get me wrong Paul's done an amazing job recreating those PCBs 
and even with the problems that they've had with the 909 ones, obviously they've made those PCBs from working it out backwards, effectively. Yeah. And they, you know, they've not ever been given the Gerbers or whatever to go away and just do it. So they've done a pretty amazing job of getting those going. And yeah, the 303, having looked at the boards and the part list and everything, it's a darn sight less complicated, isn't it, <laughs> than the, yeah. the 909. That really is a a horrible beast of uh, an instrument. I mean, I've got a re 606 to make as well. Um, cause I managed to get hold of the switch. Cause there's a problem with the switch selector switch, but not being available. There, there was a chap over, um, in the States, um, who, J Pan Yang. Yeah. JT. He's a really nice guy. Produced some of the switches and I managed to get, get one off of him again. Yeah, because I sent him some pictures of my 606's switch with the heights measured and stuff for oh. him when he was doing that. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, yeah. he put a post up going, has anyone got a 606 that they can take some measurements of the switch? Like, yes, I do have one of those. Yeah, they're... Um, I'd, yeah. It's interesting because I want to make a 303 because I've got two Zox boxes and I've got an actual 606 and having a... RE but a 303 proper would sort of make the the set as it were I've always wanted a 909 so I've tried to do it but like knowing the trouble that I've had and knowing that some of the sort of bodges that you have to do with a 909 I don't think I'd have the energy to go anywhere near the 808 build I think that's one of if I ever wanted an 808 I'm just going to end up putting the money up for it the, the re 101 i am quite tempted with but i think based on the 909 experience i'm definitely going to wait till it matures in terms of builds yeah yeah well, there's some things though that i've i quite like the idea of sometimes buying a finished thing you know i've enjoyed building things but then there's also a certain satisfaction a bit like you're saying about mutable instruments about having the prod ones i know that was for a slightly different reason but like i could possibly build an re 101 or i know it's not quite the same thing you could buy an intelligel cascadia and that looks like it'll be a rather exciting bit and and yeah i could try and build one of those maybe but actually sometimes it's nice to just get a thing as they designed you and again i've i've got a 208 C bootler and you can DIY them yourselves but having seen what you have to do to DIY one of those cells and like the Euphoria ST modular build there's so many bits to that and there's so much bits of calibration that actually and this is where I try and balance between the playing and the making of yes I could have built a bootler to a but actually I've had a lot more fun just playing with the damn thing yeah, got one of those touch keyboards you can get with it. And it's quite nice sometimes to, to just appreciate somebody else's finished product that you can buy off the shelf. And it, I think it makes it more easier to appreciate it having tried to build some of these things though. Yeah, before I had no concept of like the, the Zox clones that I got. No idea of how much effort you'd have to put into making one. And likewise, like when you get a finished synth, like the yeah i think there's a definite i've got a much better appreciation of when someone goes this is like three thousand pounds and people go well it sounds like a lot of money it's like well yeah but if you think of what they've had to go through 
then you know how much things cost on parts and ordering, you know, it comes to scale when you do a prod thing. But you'd, there's a definite appreciation, I think, of people's finished work having DIY'd, you know. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I think that the um, kind of something which I've been thinking about since doing this podcast is basically why people build and the people who do build a lot, they have a, and I mentioned it earlier, this kind of connection with the manufacturer, whether it's an individual, a company's kind of ethos, their style. You know, Bafaco have got their own style. I love Shack Matt, for example. They've got their own style. But when when you're buying, you're buying into a kind of an ideology almost with um, something bookler. You're buying into a dream, aren't you, almost, at this point? This is like a piece of... It's something more than the component parts. It's something more than... Oh, you can appreciate the, the fact that this being designed by this quite an incredible individual but when you got the finished article that's been produced by the company to their standards you're you're kind of connecting with something on a on a different level when it's the actual physical piece mm. and it's yeah well the world of Buchler is uh you know you can have eight modules in a Buchler setup that cost more than everybody's Eurorack setups yeah uh, like making a whole room up uh, and some of it I do wonder but then um, someone did a tear down of I think it's the triple morphing filter and actually that some of that is through hole and you have to wire bits of the you know there's wiring as well that can't be done by a machine so whilst it is still really quite expensive and you can probably buy something way cheaper in a euro rack Knowing that if I had to put that together, it would, <laughs> how much more effort it would be than a single board SMD. Yeah, you do kind of get that appreciation of what they've gone through. And, and then again, when you see some of them and there's like 15 trimmers on the back, like one, to work out why you needed those 15 in the first place was a lot of effort. To then work out how to actually use the 15 to get the desired result was clearly a lot of effort. And then to work out a process that every subsequent module you can make adheres to that same standard and everybody you sell it to is going to get the same one calibrated the same way. I mean, that's you really get... A, a, I think you definitely get a much deeper respect for that kind of thing, like you say, from you know, DIY in it. And now you see lots of people go, oh, DIY because I want it to be cheap. Well, if you're doing it properly with all the right gear and the kit, and I don't think it really ends up being cheap per se, it definitely costs less to build a stages than it did to buy one. If you build several of them, <laughs> like if you build 10 of them, you're probably all right because you've bought 100 of the resistors. But, you know, if you buy four of the resistors, it might work out kind of okay, but you buy a hundred, don't you? Because it's like 10 pence cheap, uh, uh, 10 pence more than buying four. And then you've got loads for other builds. I had a synth cube kit the other day that I was missing a part from, which luckily I had um, a bunch of leftover from a different MI build. So, you know, it's worth, definitely worth overstocking, but overstocking ends up with you, end up, you know, with uh, the right stuff, 
uh, with you know with way too much stuff that cost you way more than if you'd have done it. But it's still, yeah. I think one of the things that I don't know if anyone else has touched on is the one thing I found really useful is understanding how that Mauser search engine works. So that when you are looking for your own parts for something and it's out of stock or whatever, that you can, it's actually really easy when you get used to it. But I've seen people really struggle with this is out of stock. What do I do? Oh, you just have to click these few bits and press this and then, Oh, but I don't know. Yeah, but yeah. it lists all of the relevant bits on the side, and you just basically pick one, and it doesn't matter in most cases. Yeah, yeah. especially with sisters. I yeah. saw it the other day where someone was looking for a TL072, but they were looking for the particular encode after the end of it, and there was none in stock. And they were like asking, you know, I need these very particular. Has anyone got any of these? And I was, I was it's thinking, like, you mean you need the real version versus the tape version? Yeah. Don't worry, you don't. <laughs> Yeah. but it is a, but it is a kind of barrier to entry there is like a whole world of knowledge around parts and um, components and knowing the difference between thick film thin film um, different um, tolerances Blue rate and yeah. offsets and because on the what you call it on some of the mi ones some of the ics are still not available and there is a replacement, but it's a bit more expensive. So then you've got a choice of, do you wait till December or do you just pay the extra money? But with um, some of the bits that they've got, if you, you can use a TLS-72 because it fits the footprint, but it won't quite operate as it's designed to. So you then, I've seen someone go, well, you just need to change some of the resistors around so it works better. Well, I'm not going to... <laughs> I'll make a mess of that, I'm sure. But with the the VCA chips that she used all the time, the V one, the V two one four six, is that? Yeah, yeah, I can't remember the exact code. But there's a there's an SSI version, but it's not the same. Obviously, it's slightly different, and it does operate, and it needs slightly different resistors. But you can just order the cool audio ones from Cabin Tech in USA. And I think they charge like two dollars postage, it, even to the UK, like or it might be four. You know, it's it's a relatively reasonable amount of money to get something sent across an ocean. So it's just I was just like I'll just buy them. So I've got a, a little strip of SSI ones that I bought that got desoldered and then put back away, but they had sat in the cupboard that you know one day I'll sit down and maybe try and make my own board around an SSI chip that I've got ten of. Sounds good. I've got um, a question which we kind of touched on relating to a bin of shame. I know we've kind of, I don't <laughs> know if we would say that the RE909 was in the bin, but um, have you got any projects or builds that haven't made it to the light of day and anything you'd like to share with us? Well, just the, so there's a racket metal drum that's in a cupboard. Um, that works in a way because when you press the trigger, the LED lights up, but it doesn't make any sound. <laughs> So I, I don't think you can get the schematics just off the website and think, oh, yeah, I always mean to ask if you can get them because that will help with tracing why it doesn't work. Um, and say so I've never really looked back at the Baby 8 one, but they're the only two that didn't work at all. And say so one of the stages that had an offset on voltage, and it wasn't calibration because, you know, I don't know if you've read about it, you have to measure and use one of Forrest Cave's spreadsheets to 
make it all zeros and it does work as long as you follow the right instructions and this one worked perfectly but it was minus one to seven instead of naught to eight and in the end I measured everything and I went through every single component and because you've got three channels of two channels each and the way the board's laid out is very pretty much clearly in the three sections it's really nicely laid out to check but I checked them against the three that I'd got that worked. I checked it against the ones that I did. And I just could not for the life of me work out why this offset happened. And it sort of didn't matter in a way because it just gave you a slightly interesting version of the same thing, (laughs) but it didn't work as it was meant to. And I spent hours trying to work out why that was. And in the end I gave up if I'm honest, but um, I sold it to somebody for not that much money on the basis of, it doesn't quite work as intended. And their feedback was, this is great. works exactly as he described it. So obviously they didn't care. So yeah, I've I've been relatively lucky that I managed to make most things with success. And obviously I would like to say most of my boards come out looking all right. And I think that's probably why I've had success because I've managed to get my technique relatively early, quite good. And some of the ones that I built, I built again with paste after I built them with um, just an iron to see if I could make them look nicer. And then I ended up like selling the one that I made first time around and keeping the nicer copy. And like, I've got two cellular automatics over there, which the original ones were fine, but I just decided I'd have another go and do two and do them all sort of hot air. But also they've now got the corners are all red and the inside bits are blue so they actually look a bit more interesting than the original one that was just all blue but i've I've, i my bin of shame is actually an re909 (laughs) one stages that didn't quite work as designed but worked otherwise and then these two kits that are made literally like the first thing they ever made everything else is yeah i've had a couple of problems like my stages wouldn't link across each other when I first put them together and that was just the RX and TX pins on the STM wasn't soldered but again quick look at the look at Eagle and work out that those pins are connected to here oh yeah okay touch it up with the the iron and it all works fine I've been I say I probably would have learned more if I'd have made more of a mess of it but makes sense no I've, I've been I've been lucky in some regards on that front I think it's just because, like you say, I think you've definitely got a methodical approach. I've seen your boards, especially recently you did the DP filter, which I know that Andrew mentions as being one of the ones he doesn't even enjoy making, and and yours worked straight away by the looks of it. Yeah, the only thing I did wrong was I soldered the, um, the brown wire onto the switch pin rather than the proper pin. Because the way that I grouped them was one up, two together, two together, so that I could make as few connections on the grounds as possible. Um, But I guess on method, I sat down and I went, right, if I'm going to lay this out and I'm going to do it, I was going to do it with solid core wire so that instead of being wires all over the place, I could do it almost like traces, I guess. And uh, I did think about it quite a lot, but that was really easy to fix. And I spotted that as soon as I plugged it in because I plugged it in and put a CV into the thing and it did nothing. And I looked at the back and went, oh, you're an idiot. That's why I didn't do anything. But uh, yeah, that was, it was just frustrating because you'd got a bunch of surface mount stuff that was huge pads 
and I didn't have any 1206 components so that I had to you know overload on the paste and push a few together I then ended up there's a bunch of through holes that don't need to be that could have been SMD and I don't I obviously don't really know why but you see this is one interesting thing with an NLC builds is you see which era of design they're from as you yeah. look through them these are like same as the flip-flop one that's obviously an earlier one and you can tell as you go through like his designs obviously change over time with how he's decided that this is a better way of doing certain things and these ones are obviously old ones yeah i think for example like clump is absolutely fantastic to build um, just because of the kind of ergonomics, the layout is so symmetrical. It's a joy mm-hmm. to see it when it's all together. But when you when you look at some of the earlier builds, they, you know, even down to the numbering versus, you know, on the on the silk screen, you know, R one through R whatever, and then, you know, obviously in the more recent ones, he actually puts the value on the board, which is a real godsend. Um, and just moving, I guess, because he's got like. A, using that WAMOD as a, you know, that actual uh, workshop that he was doing, he's got like a, a basically an iterative kind of feedback process from the, from that. And that's kind of probably been integral to the improvements that we've all been seeing on yeah. the boards themselves. Yeah. Cause I really want to try and build the new slots board just cause it's a single board and has no connectors. And, but the only reason I want to do it is for the, pure joy of not having to solder pin headers between boards and go oh this is really flat it's not a particularly deep thing in the first place but yeah but yeah the dp filter was i was going to post on the guild later going like i've done this i think it looks all right i thoroughly happily will never do this again Um, and the same with um i made a uh, what's it called a thomas white um quad lpg and that was all wiring. You oh, had Thomas, to wire all. Thomas Henry, is it? No, it's a, it's a Thomas that's White one. I think oh. you can get the, get it off SynthCube. It, it, it was great for LPGs that with resonance across and um, with a mix output. You could even just hammer the resonances on full, put CVs in and use the mix and get some annoying, without even patching anything into it, get some like great sounding horrible noise. Great. But, um, it was also 10 centimetres deep. And I've gradually been removing things out of there and it gradually becomes white over time. So I got rid of it a while ago, but it was horrible to make because you had four separate through hole boards that were all attached by pins to the, to two of the, um, I think two of the pots on the front, but then you need it. Well, you didn't need, but to do it nicely, you put spacers that connected each of the boards but the boards weren't all perfectly spaced. So one needed like a 20 and one needed a 22. So it was one just putting it together wasn't fun. But then you had to do each individual board had to be wired to a DPD switch or yeah. And wired to a, um, to all of the different jacks, but also wired to one of the pots, but then also wired to each of the other boards in a certain way so that the mix out would work. I must admit, I like the look of those. I think when I see people who have built those 
kind of big chunky kind of space boards that are really deep and they're all and you see all the twisted wires they look fantastic to me but i do understand why you're talking about it i think as a builder i understand and respect the level that goes into those and i understand why you're talking about it yeah no i it's another one that i wouldn't make one again and it's yeah there's probably a there's probably a module that does it calibrated <laughs> that, that, that's actually way easier but it, it was a fun build but that was an interesting one again because using mod wiggler reading up because there's limited um documentation about that one you can get a schematic but then you find that somebody has got a schematic and they someone else has got a wiring diagram that says well this one works which is different to a wiring diagram here and like, well which one do you trust well, you you know, you can do it different ways and you, you can get it right. But then someone's supposed to, well, actually, if you look on the original Buchler schematic, this value should be 4.7K, not whatever it is on the this version. All right. Well, do I have any of those? Okay, yeah, fine. I'll, you know, and it was, that was an interesting build from a point of view. If you didn't just get it, yeah. And I did lazily buy as a kit because I don't actually have any through-hole components really as a rule. I've just got boxes of SND stuff yeah. and limited amounts of through-hole things. So I was just like, well, they've got a sale on. I didn't get any. Uh, I got It got through the uh, customs without any charges, so it Good. worked out fine. But that was one way you had to really think about it, even though it should have been simple. And I saw someone else building a double one a while ago going, why is there so little documentation and why is the build documentation actually wrong well because somebody made it once obviously made a mistake and because they never got corrected as such and then people sell them still and if you want to make it correctly you've got to put more effort than just throwing components into a board into it where can um, people find you on social media um so at my one opus i think it is on instagram and um you can find me lurking on the um, nonlinear circuits group as Irving Washington. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> so um, if you've never read it, Catch 22 is a fantastic book. And if you have read it, you'll know who Irving Washington is. What about your actual My One Opus? Where does that come from? Um, when I was in high school, we had a band called Eponymous. And My One Opus is an anagram of Eponymous. Very nice. So when I was 15 and I made an email address, I had my underscore underscore, uh, un, my un, one, yeah, my underscore one o, underscore opus at hotmail.com. And uh, ever since then, I've had the same email address, which I didn't think about at the time. But having the word one in an email address has been hugely problematic when telling people what your email address is. Because nobody thinks you mean the word, so you have to spell it out every single oh, time. Yeah. Yeah. How about um, when you want inspiration and you're going out um, wanting to, you know, get some spark of interest in in whether it's music or um, synth DIY? It doesn't. It doesn't have to be synth DIY. It could be anything. Where do you go on the internet or in life to get that inspiration? Well, so a lot of my music inspiration comes from um, things like the brass band things I do. And I'm lucky enough to play in some really good brass bands who them in turn have ended up with some really good conductors and really good soloists. And uh, the orchestra playing often has 
soloists that have been on BBC you know, Musician of the Year things. And, you know, they picked pieces I would never think of because I play in brass bands and metal bands and like electronic music. So a lot of the, you know, of that com- inspiration on that comes from that. But other than that, you know, there's so many people posting about I've made this and YouTube you know youtube is probably one of the best things to have ever come across from you know a point of view of sharing because you know you can put up pictures you can put up a song you can put up a full 40 minute video if you're building something i know somebody sent me a message saying or maybe put a comment on one i made a pachinko but i took a picture of every single bit i did and then stuck it up as a video on youtube and they obviously found one this was really helpful for making it yeah there is nothing better than when you find somebody who's done a build video and you can go oh why yeah but uh, yeah the inspiration i found of one building is you know this looks complicated how much documentation is there on it you know who's you know how much support can you get a lot of the the stuff that i haven't ever bothered looking at has been things that are a bit more murky maybe but yeah, it's just the internet is just a huge inspiration. I can't imagine what people went through. Like I remember being at school and you had to go and like get a book out of the library and even at uni, you had to go and get a book out of the library or we had to, you know, hunt for CDs for the listening lists for some of the course. And it was really difficult. And now you just go on YouTube. I do think the flip side is you are, there was a point where you had to put a lot more effort into anything you wanted to do. Like, I don't know if you had the same experience, but like when I was at school, you shared tapes with people and you lent people CDs and you made a mixtape for this person of these stuff. And like the first time a tool was on a not very well recorded version of the Nima album on a tape. And I just went, wow, this sounds great. And that, you know, now you just hyperlink to somebody, don't you? And they go, Oh yeah, yeah this is right. And then yeah. I'll go and listen to the other 4,000 things that I can get on this device that's the size of this and way more powerful than the Apollo 11 rocket. Like, yeah, there's a, I've, I don't know how you could be short of inspiration nowadays because the, it's just everywhere. But I know, like, a um, perfect example is, I forget his name, the, I think it's this um, Italian chap that does a lot of NLC builds. Yeah. Yeah, pep, pep. you know what I mean. Yeah, I know anyway. the guy, yeah. He um he posted, Oh, I've made this cell F board. This is this has been like a labour of love and I went, Wow, what is that? He emailed Andrew because I saw he'd posted, Oh, I've got a couple of these left. It's like, Can I have one of these please? And yeah, sure enough, a few months later it arrived you know, I've got it and got a case for it and that took a lot of thinking about. Oh, that that was one where the, the the spacing of it's got like a three-way switch in it which is deeper than your jack sockets are and that means that you end up needing tall um pots which luckily thunk obviously do sell some extended length pots which were perfect but it also means that some of the other bits don't, you know, you've got to have your jack sockets slightly off the board and such. And I don't know how well you can see it, but there are a lot of jack sockets on that. Just getting the panel on was the worst nightmare. And because everything was not quite on and flat, 
when if you're not careful, then if you've ever had this happen, the solder runs all the way up the jack socket into the jack socket. And I ended up trying to put a cable in when I'd finished it to find it wouldn't go in because the solder had gone. And then having to try and desolder the inner side of the jack to get the solder out of it, which was just horrible. But like, you know, that was a a very costly in time and money uh, inspiration. But like seeing somebody had made that and then finding out I could buy one and being able to stick it into its own case, you know, with nice Bifaco different coloured nuts for each function and nice knobs on it and make a hopefully a really nice job of doing it and it'd be you know something that you can go oh this is nice and it's in a little portable case as well you know the only sad thing is you've got a huge wall wart that you've got carrying with it but you know that was a definite bit of inspiration and then that was really nice because you know Andy chucked in two PSU boards with it to power it and when I'd got stuck or whatever emailed him to ask him and he went oh yeah no do this so like you know it's just inspiring one seeing people build things and going oh could i do that and then knowing that that you know somebody else has got them you know if you if you ever did another run of those like i definitely recommend uh having a go it was a, definitely a fun build because it's got a dp filter built in that doesn't have any wiring as well <laughs> i know i must admit when i saw um when I've seen a few pictures of those finished, they, they look kind of Bookler-esque, don't they? They've got a kind of certain vibe to them where you're like really kind of drawn in. What's this? And then you realise it's a cell F and you're like, well, has it actually, you know, because I don't know that much about the cell F other than what I've seen on YouTube. Has this one actually got the ability to be able to connect the cells in? How did he do that? No, so it's it's just literally the synth bit, but they obviously were, ran some wires from it, and the voltage then went into into the the nerve brain bit, and then obviously backwards and forwards to sort of fire things. But yeah, I've watched some some of the videos on those, and it in theory it seems like it would be really interesting. But I know I remember seeing that some of the uh, some of the comments he made was this didn't go anywhere near as well as the one that we didn't record, <laughs> and you know, but. Um, it's just a really interesting standalone synth because it's a an NLC thing where you've had no choice about what modules are in it. It's been entirely down to, you know, what Andy decided to put into those boards. But it's obviously jam-packed with all sorts of different bits in. It's got um, a feed built into it. It's got two VCOs, you know, it's got some slots, obviously. And it's got, you know, a divide and conquer sort of yeah, as well as all sorts of other bits and pieces all stuck in there. You've got a reverb tank in it as well. Cool. Um, so it's quite, it's fun to play with that because I've been, I've obviously got those ridiculous things, but then I've also got some smaller bits and pieces that like you can sit downstairs with and it's quite nice how you can get an Octatrack and you can then get an Octatrack and plug around with that at the same time or like you've got the Buchler one and you can mess around with that. So that one sits quite nicely with some of the others where if you want to you want to take a little bit of non-linear with you but you don't want to be unscrewing crap all the time because you know it's nice having knurlies but they wreck your fingers when you yes. you do remove everything in and out and i'd say the only thing that i don't really like about euro like euro rack is the fact that modular grid has to exist for you to be able to play Tetris to work out whether what you're going to try and do will work in the case size that you have. Yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, 
we've all got that struggle where it's always a compromise and especially if we're building new stuff what do you do i mean my my rack same size as yours behind you and i've got boxes full of modules that aren't in there and i'm building stuff at the moment that i've got nowhere for them to go it's madness absolute madness yeah and then i'm like well i could have another six year without any problem on top of the that from monster case should i because it's just going to encourage me to fill it and then i'll have the same problem no. but yeah i've got um i've got a, a bunch of boxes in the cupboards with a few in but i've been trying to if they come out of it and they're not particularly you know hard to get again i've been trying to sort of get rid of them on the basis that i've got like a whole bunch of complex oscillators and I've got one of those feedback ones with a shaper that I made the shaper of and it is really interesting but actually I always find that I end up using the North Coast Synthesis middle path one instead because one is a bit smaller and two I actually end up finding I prefer what it does so I might as well just sell the other one but I also you know it gets stressful selling things because then you'll get somebody going oh will you take a take 100 pounds for this and so well that's lower than the starting bid, so probably not. Yeah, and, and then, yeah, I had one person say, oh, I'm interested in buying this, but you're not really a known builder, so um, what's your, can, I, can I return it if I don't like it? No, you can return it if it doesn't work. It gets broken <laughs> in transit. But, like, go and look at my Instagram page. I've built quite a lot of things. Like, yeah, I appreciate it. I don't sell them. I don't build for people. I'm not like a, you know, someone that you find on Facebook offering their services, but like, I'm pretty confident it works. <laughs> I'm not, you know, yeah, I'm no rush to sell any of these things, <laughs> but I yeah, I, I'm trying to where I'm not using it and it's gone out of the rack, like sort of leave it and for a little bit and then maybe get rid of it. But I've, I've tried to get a, that side is digital mostly sort of, and that side is analog and it's just ended up getting the one's become an NLC tribute act and the other one is just IntelliGel and mutable instruments pretty much with the odd bit. It's just sad that I've got a corner that's black panels. Otherwise there wouldn't be a there wouldn't be a black panel anywhere apart from the mixes. Well it's been great talking to you today. I think we're gonna call it a day there. We could carry on all day talking about nlc modules i know i could ask you a question and we could both be talking about it for the next half an hour so (laughs) on that basis um yeah thanks very much for coming on yeah no problem enjoyed it so we should probably probably have a a bigger group chat with nlc specifics at some point (laughs) yeah definitely when you get further into your your series I definitely would like to do that. I mean, I actually held back from asking you a question about NLC just specifically because I thought, oh, you know, just for that reason. (laughs) But we'll have another follow-up conversation soon. Thanks again. Yeah, no problem. See you soon.